Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You are right, and do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor, and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of IRONWOMEN to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code IRONWOMEN for 30% off. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. How's life at 4,800 feet? I, we were just chatting before this, and I found out that Bozeman's actually at a little bit of elevation. So this is like it's such a new thing. I'm going to be mentioning it all the time until it decides to leave my brain. <laughs> and now you know my secret weapon, a little bit of altitude. Yeah, we were talking about this, and it's fun fact. I do live and train at a little bit of altitude, which when I first moved here did affect me a little bit more. I noticed it the most in the pool just... If you do ever do like breathing exercises when you swim, like maybe you do like a pulse set or you breathe like every third or every fifth, every seventh. And you definitely notice on those kind of sets when you're at altitude versus when you're at sea level. When I'm at sea level, breathing every seventh is pretty much, it's a, it's a little bit of like a mental challenge, but not as much of a physical challenge, but there are days at altitude when breathing every seventh stroke is really hard. So that's where I notice it the most in the pool. So when you breathe every seven, how do you handle your turns? Because this is like my, when I, because at masters, we actually do, we do the like breathing sets with that a lot. And 
it's like a constant debate among us. Do you count like in your head? Like some people will be like, no, you just kind of count through the flip turn. And so like, if you counted to seven, by the time you flip, then like you're allowed to take a new breath or like some people are purists that like, no, the flip is just an extra challenge and you really only have to go by the seven strokes. So what's your strategy? So back in the days when I was a swimmer, like a real hardcore swimmer, and that's what I did all the time. I was more purist. I was like, the flip doesn't count. You're taking the strokes in and out. Now I'm fairly lazy. I also swim long course meters right now. So we're, you know, you get a long time in between, you know, a 50 meter pool. So a long time, but in between flips, I would say I'm, I'm a little lazier. I either count through the through the turn or I breathe the first stroke off the turn, no matter what. Um, again, I would not advocate that for, for anyone who actually like, you know, if you were trying to get really fast in the pool, but I also justified as my days of doing races that have flip turns are over. I think I can safely say that. I mean, maybe, maybe I'll do another swim meet someday, but probably not. <laughs> when and you when do. you're, when you're consistently first out of the water, I think you can do it whatever you want. Um, it definitely depends on the day for me. Like if I've had a hard training day going into masters, then there's not a prayer in the world that I'm going to be able to hold my breath long enough to be able to hold it off the wall too. So then I'm just like surviving anything I can for the seven. Um, definitely probably breathing off the wall. But if I'm having, you know, if it's like my Monday where I had a rest going in like for the morning and then I have masters in the afternoon, I, I do try and challenge myself to really like stick to it. But sometimes I just, it's a lot of counting with the seven and then trying to figure out how many laps you've done and all of that. So I admit that like sometimes my mind wanders in general and I'm like, I feel like I've been holding my breath a long time. So now I'll take a breath. I don't know. That is so funny, but I, I do give myself a pass. I will say, I think if I didn't have the background I do, I might be a little bit more of a stickler and I probably am more of a stickler on my athletes than I am with myself. But in my past, especially being a backstroker, I mean, I used to do entire workouts that were like no breath, you know, like we would do so much, no breathing, underwater kicking. And so now I honestly consider breathing a luxury that I just... I'm going to allow myself to have when you've done like several years of like no breathing, um, workouts. It's like, I, I, I just enjoy all the breathing I can get these days. But again, it's, I, 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 but I'm probably a little more, a little harsher on my, on my athletes, especially when I used to coach kids, those kids, I was like, you should breathe seven off the wall. Like you should count, you know, seven in seven out. I'm like, you're trying to be the best that you possibly can be. And you're also, your races are decided by hundreds of a second. So yeah, it does. It does depend on your goals. Well, speaking of swim racing, I had two open water swim races, Haley, this weekend. This is like the fun of my weekend. I have been trying to commit myself to really improving my swim like tactics and just trying to really, you know, focus in on the swim because it is such an important part for our racing to be able to swim like with a pack and with the right people so that I'm getting onto the bike with, you know, people I want to be riding around, et cetera, et cetera. So part of that was I'm forcing myself to do, I did the swim meet this year, you know, like I've really just been swimming whenever the opportunity comes up, I'm trying not to turn it down. And so I did a open water swim race this last weekend, two of them, they had a one mile and then a two mile. 
and it was fun, you know, and part of the fun for me was that one of my best friends, Leslie Miller, three months postpartum. So I had duped her into coming and swimming the one mile with me. So that was like an extra bit of fun for sure to see her and to get to swim that. But I have to say like open water swim racing, the vibe was really cool. I really enjoyed the whole thing. I swam a cat one. So I was like, not wearing a wetsuit for sure, um, which was fun. So I got to pretend like I was, you know, a real swimmer doing an open water swim race, but it was fun. I don't know. It was something different. Did you miss having to like go and get on your bike afterwards? Or um, was it kind of nice to just be like done after the swim? It was so nice. That was the one thing Leslie and I did say. We were like, this is so great. Like the best thing to not have to worry about, you know, you just get out of the water and you're done. This is so cool. We didn't have to worry about biking next or running hard next or, you know, it was just a matter of swimming hard. That was cool. And with no wetsuit, I mean, you basically had like no gear that you had to bring. Exactly. It was like very easy. You know, and my, my master's friend brought me a little chair. So we had like a little luxury set up on the side of the lake. It was so nice. It was cool. Sounds like you found a future in open water swimming, like this new love. It's definitely going to help your races because you're going to be so excited now. You're going to be like, oh man, I have experience. And it's, it, I think we're going to see some fast swims coming out of you in the next couple months. Well, hopefully, you know, it, it probably can't hurt, right? So I may as well do what I can there. But what about you? What have you been up to? Well, I did some open water swimming as well, and it was actually for this podcast. This is teasing an upcoming episode. This isn't this week's episode, but Molly Hayes is a local legend here in Bozeman, and actually her nickname is Montana Molly. She is a avid triathlete. Um, she's done more than 333 races because she's 86 years old, and I asked her if she would come on the podcast, and she said the only way she would come on the podcast would be if I went open water swimming with her. And I think when she asked me, it was this beautiful day and I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. And then that weekend she went out and checked the water temperature in the lake and it was 46 degrees. <laughs> and so I just, I guess I just had forgotten that, you know, that the water is really cold here. Again, we're at altitude and, um, it is May and we had a, a pretty rough winter. It was pretty cold winter. And I asked her, I said, Molly, you know, what do we do if there's bad weather? And she said to me, Haley, what do we do if there's bad weather on race day? Boom. I love so it. I couldn't argue with that. So I went swimming in 49 degree water. It had warmed up a little bit, um, leading into our, our, our swim date. And we had a couple of friends who came out and it was a good time. And, and Molly swam better than me in 49 degree water. <laughs> and, um, I, and I love cold water. I, I, we've talked about this before. I mean, I, I found, you know, I found St. George to be warm. <laughs> so, and even Bariloche, which probably was the coldest I've swum in, um, or maybe Indian Wells. I don't know. All of those, I've never really been too uncomfortable um, in a race in cold water. But again, those were probably 58 degrees. And there's quite a bit of difference between 58 degrees Fahrenheit and 49. But it wasn't as bad as I expected. I, I was a little nervous about my ears just because we've talked about that. I've had some some issues with my ears lately. So I was like all over with like the earplugs and the neoprene cap and a silicone cap, just really trying to protect my ears. And I think I came out of it unscathed. But we'll have a great interview for for people in, in a couple of weeks with uh, some good stories from Molly. That's great. And if people want to see a little video from that, I loved what the little one that you made and it's on your Facebook and Instagram too, right? 
Yes. Instagram, let, I put a Taylor Swift soundtrack to there, which I guess is a little bit of a copyright infringement, but um, Emma Coburn does it, you know, right? The track runner. And I'm <laughs> like, she she's does like, it, then she we has can like do it. 200,000 followers. So I was like my 4,000 followers. I think I'll, I'll just put it up until they tell me to take it down. I think Facebook kind of, they sent me like a little thing where they're like, we're going to mute this. And I was like, okay, but yes, I did. I, I took the GoPro out there and, um, and filmed Molly swimming. And I mean, it was, it was impressive. So yeah, if anyone wants to check out my Instagram, uh, profile at Haley 23. You can see that video I made with Molly. I have some great photos too, that I'll be pe- posting in the couple weeks just to get everyone all hyped about that interview. Perfect. So that is a great teaser with some of the, a great interview we have coming up in June. And we have some other little teasers for some fun June things that the iron women podcast is bringing to you. We are going to have run a noon contest in June. So Everyone should be tuning in next week for details on that, um, that will be running. And we have another fun June happening, right, Haley? That's right. Our partners at Zelio Skincare, they like to celebrate June as Ginger Awareness Month. That's for all the redheads out there, which, Alyssa, this is something kind of crazy with redheads. So we, we, I, Molly, Molly Hayes is a redhead, um, who I interviewed and who wanted to go swimming in 49 degree water. No problem. She wore a sleeveless wetsuit, by the way, Steph, my friend, Steph is a redhead who came swimming with us and actually like stayed in the longest. And another, I'm teasing another, um, interview we have coming up, Nikki Kimball, uh, who, whose long trail record you broke. And I mean, if anyone does a little bit of Googling on Nikki or or listens to this upcoming episode, they'll realize what a badass she is. And she's a redhead. So, I mean, gingers are told, oh, Sarah Piampiano just had this incredible, incredible race at Ironman Brazil and um, went like 840 with a 253 marathon, incredible, incredible race or another redhead. Gingers are like taking over the endurance world. But in case you aren't aware of all the gingers taking over the endurance world, Zelio Skincare is celebrating ginger awareness month because I guess you do have to pay more attention to, uh, your, your skin care when you, when you have that fair hair. Yeah. And I think like they, I'm sure they get comments from a lot of people too. You know, like, I feel like everyone's like extra, extra aware of them too, and their fair skin often and how to keep them safe. So it's going to be a whole month where we can be aware of, that skin type, I guess, with that, with, with ginger hair. I don't know. Right. And, <laughs> Make sure and help them s- stay well, they healthy can with help. their skin. Yeah. And they can help uh, remind us that we need to take care of our skin as well and wear sun barrier. And, um, you can't always get 20% off. Is that right? At, yes. um, Azelios with the code iron women at teamzelios.com. And yeah, we have a lot of, a lot of ginger, we're celebrating ginger awareness month, all of our ginger interviews. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's going to be, look at that. We just nailed it for June. Um, and Haley, we're still rolling through mailbags that have come in. So if people have questions for us, you can send them to us at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And we have some questions that came in from Megan this week. So she has a few questions, I think two here. The first topic is about nutrition. So she is curious, Haley, with how strict we are with our nutrition. Do we count macros? Do we eat whatever we want since we're burning so many calories? She knows it's different for everyone. She's just curious what they, what we do. Are there foods we avoid, foods we incorporate, et cetera? Haley, what's a macro? <laughs> that gives you the answer to that question from me. <laughs> I think that's like macro, macro nutri- micro nutri- macro right? nu- yeah. nutrient. <laughs> big like- macro sounds big. <laughs> 
Um, I don't have my a meals huge... are macro sized. I can tell you that. <laughs> I do love macro sized meals. Um, I the nutrition is such a hard one. I think that what it mine has evolved over the years, and I think my current philosophy is more. It, it tends toward you know, as healthy as reasonably possible. You know, I, I'm not like a huge stickler, but I do try to, to, you know, eat a good variety. I try to eat, you know, more local foods or like we have a lot of bison here in Montana and I really, really love bison. So I incorporate that into my food just because I feel like it probably maybe is a little bit fresher. I will eat organic um, sometimes, and that's something I think my parents have really gotten into organic eating. It's it's kind of interesting. My mom um, was dealing with some arthritis, and the doctor actually told her like to that she could manage that a lot with her diet. And so some of what they've learned through that has bled into into me into how I eat. Where there are like certain things they are worth getting organic. There are certain things that are, um, you know, they're worth the extra price. Um, so I pay a little bit more attention to that. So I guess it, it wouldn't be whatever I won't, I don't eat whatever, but if, and, but it would be like, if one of those things, if it comes between like not eating and McDonald's, I'm going to go to McDonald's. I'm never going to not eat. So I don't have like, again, I don't have a perfect, I can't say I'm perfect. I will eat, I'll eat candy. I'll eat, you know, stuff on, especially on a bike ride, but I try to do as, as good as I can. <laughs> yeah. I think my philosophy is very similar. It's, it's definitely evolved over time as I've learned more, as I've, you know, just gotten more serious in the sport and really tried to make a commitment to certain things to like be the best that I can while I'm, I have this time to devote to, you know, the sport where my body is the engine and fueling that nutrition is important. Right. So I don't always want to be throwing, you know, Taco Bell was like a main staple of my diet years and years ago, which I still love obviously because people brought it to me on the long trail, but I try not to eat that like three times a week. Like I did at one point when I was working at a certain job because the Taco Bell was right there. Right. So I now make a lot more of my meals, a lot more is like fresher foods. It's just, um, it's not as processed, like things like that. I've definitely gotten much better on and just personally, like I am very weary of where some things come from, you know, and like the meat processing that's done in the country, our country and stuff like that. I'm, you know, I'm just, I've, I've learned a lot about that. Um, and so that's almost like why I'm just more careful about where, and again, it's, I have now an opportunity to eat more locally and things like that and just make better decisions on the quality from that standpoint. But I, I could not count calories. I could not, you know, if I'm hungry, I'm eating and I'm, if I'm not hungry, quite honestly, I'm still probably eating. Cause I know that that's going to be helping me with recovery. So, um, not definitely not a stickler there. I think, you know, I can kind of join you there and that's definitely, you know, a stance I try to encourage with my athletes too, is just to, you know, fuel yourself with what makes you feel good. And don't, we have enough things to worry about with triathlon already. Like we don't need to add more to the plate as long as we're making sure you're, you're fueling your engine enough to be getting through your day, happy and healthy and your workouts and all of that. So hopefully we helped give some insight there. It is a, it's a big question. I feel like it's one of those things like research it, like find out what's best with you, try things for yourself and figure out what works with you because nutrition is so individual, but I do think food, you know, it, it can, it can make you feel better for sure. Like different kinds of food. So yeah. So we're like, go, go do your own research, Megan. Yeah. <laughs> 
whatever we do probably won't work for everyone. So there's that. There are, okay, Haley, there's a bonus question here. So we have three to get through. So the second one I love. So this, she's wondering, this this is a good question. When you have a headwind, being an arrow is more efficient, clearly, right? But she's curious about when we have a tailwind, do we stay an arrow or do you sit up and use your body like a sail? Because wouldn't that like get more benefit from the tailwind. So Haley, did you love physics class when, when you had to my take mom, it? My mom is a physics teacher. I feel like I'm what? talking about my mom a lot during these <laughs> questions. I should have called her in and be like, mom, answer all these questions. I'll answer all of Megan. Yeah. So I did love physics, but I also know that you, you've done some like serious research on this question. So maybe well, I, should I did because it was one of those things you. where I read and I was like, Huh. I was like, why don't we sit up like a sail? Because I actually, I didn't love physics. I, I'm a math major, but I, physics was one of those things where it's just like, it does it has like direction. You, but you have yeah. math with direction. How wonderful I can is do that? the math to figure it out. So I'm going to walk you through it like a math person. So Megan, you have to think about tailwinds and all of the winds like vectors, right? So it's just adding vectors, which again is like not totally pure math in my opinion it's like a little confusing math vectors have direction (laughs) exactly so that's going to throw you for a loop but basically what it comes down to is that you think of you're cycling on a road right and you have your tailwind behind you and so you are a vector and the tailwind is a vector and I can already tell people are going to be writing in to tell me that this explanation is a little wacky but anyway so say you're cycling at 15 miles an hour and then you have a 10 mile an hour tailwind right then you're also creating the wind the vector that's like coming at you and that's basically the difference between your speed and the tailwind speed so there's still if you're cycling at 15 miles an hour and you have a tail 10 mile an hour tailwind you're still like creating an effect of five miles an hour as the vector of wind coming at you kind of. And so that's why you still have to stay arrow. So if you ever are in a situation where you're like riding your bike in like hurricane force winds, where the tailwind vector is actually greater than your cycling speed, then like maybe, you know, so like in situations where like you're beach cruising, it actually where you're only riding at like six or seven miles an hour. If you have like a 20 mile an hour tailwind, you know, you're probably already sitting up anyway on your beach cruiser and not like in aero bars. Right. So that's probably right. And the same thing, like if you're climbing and your speed decreases so much that it's like less than the tailwind, again, you're probably already out of your bars and doing it just kind of naturally in general. But so it's pretty rare, the situations where you're actually really going to have that tailwind vector, if you will be like greater than your own speed. How'd you yeah, like that, so I think it's great, but I think you are saying that as long as, as long as you want to go faster than the wind is blowing, then you should be arrow and you should be trying to, yeah, counteract some of that wind resistance because anytime you're going, anytime you're moving through wind, you create friction and then there's friction on the ground. So unless you're riding a bike in a vacuum, the chances of it being super beneficial or like going faster to sit up. I mean, you might feel good without doing much effort if you just sit up and you're like a sail, but you could always go faster if you're arrow. Exactly. So maybe we'll get more like physics questions. This is actually kind of fun. Uh, Megan's last question, Haley is, so she's also a mom of three kids. She's short on time and money and everything else that our sport requires. Right. But she really loves it. So she's taking a look at how she can get better. And she realizes her swim is really lacking. She's done four 70.3s and has stayed right around a two minute per hundred yard pace without much improvement 
through her racing. So what would we suggest her first step is to get her swim better, but she's telling us there is no master swim near her. And she's thought about on online coaching like tower 26 or something like a program like that. But she's wondering, she thinks maybe her form is lacking. So what is our suggestions? So Megan, I find that usually, and this is not the answer anyone wants, but the way to get better at swimming is to swim more. And that is hard when you're short on time. I think that one of the things with swimming is, is sometimes if you can do frequency, like maybe if you could get to the water or get in the pool, like early in the morning, cause that is usually a time when swimming is before your kids are up. If that's logistically possible and just, you know, trying to be consistent with that and just getting, even if you only get 2000 in, you know, each time, I think that can really add up. I think that if an online coach, you know, if a coach would help motivate you to get up in the morning and get to the pool, then it's worth it. But really what you need is, you know, is just is, you know, to put yourself in a position where you're going to get yourself into the pool more and get more, you know, just spend more time swimming. Cause swimming is one where it just takes a lot of time to get better. But sometimes one lesson, you know, if you, if there is someone in the area or if you're able to travel somewhere and you get a lesson, like, you know, you don't need a lesson like all the time, but if you get like two or three things to work on, that could be really valuable. Or maybe you learn a couple more drills. Um, that could be, but yeah, it's, it's really just time in the pool. Yeah. And off season, you know, this isn't like a, maybe a great time to really focus on it, but when the off season comes, um, you know, there were seasons when I like rarely in the off season was running and biking for like a month or two. And I was just going to the pool. Like all my time was going to the pool and putting in like a big block in the off season. And that does for sure pay off too. Um, once the season starts and that gives you like a little bit of flexibility cause you don't have to be riding and running really very much at all. And you can just focus on that in the pool and maybe, Maybe if you swim more too, like you recognize, like your body kind of figures out how to make itself go faster in the water a lot of times, I feel like. And then you remember that and you can take that into the season when, yeah, you can't like get to the pool quite as much, that kind of thing. But, or even film yourself or you see if someone could film you. I mean, maybe one of your kids could go out. They probably know, they probably are pretty good at that. But, um, you know, just so that you can kind of see what you look like. And, you know, you'll be, it's weird. It's one of those weird things because sometimes you can't feel that you're doing something. But when you see it on, you know, even just like an iPhone video where you're like, whoa, I do pick my head up really high or something like that, or my legs really are sinking. You know, if there isn't someone who can, who can stand on deck and tell you those things, maybe someone could just film you really quick, just swimming down and back and you can look at those things for yourself. Yeah, I like it. So Megan, hopefully we gave you some insight to these questions there. Anyone else has questions? You can always send them in to us at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we love getting those questions. And Haley, we also love seeing our number of Patreon subscribers rising, don't you? Yes. It, it makes me feel like all warm and fuzzy that people are are listening and they support us and they want to join us on our, on our mission to bring more media attention to female endurance athletes. Yes. So if you want to help support Live Feisty Media, um, the Iron Women podcast, the Iron Women live interviews that we do on site in Kona and other races all over, um, you can head to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Live Feisty and take a look there. And we have several increments where you can support us on a monthly basis. And all of that helps us to bring you all of this amazing content as regularly as we can. 
Yes. And thank you to those of, those of you who have already subscribed. You're motivating us to bring you more great interviews in the coming weeks and months. But speaking of great interviews, now I actually get to say who our interview is this week. We have a special one for you. It is seven-time Ironman champion, Lindsay Corbin. So you probably are familiar with Lindsay. She's one of the most popular pros on the circuit. She, like I said, has won seven Ironmans. Most recently, she won Ironman Wisconsin in 2018. Just four weeks before her fourth top 10 finish in Kona, she finished 10th last year. Um, She's the former American record holder uh, for the Ironman time, meaning the fastest American woman ever. Um, I think her record, she set her record in Austria. She went 842 in Austria in 2014. It was just broken last uh, November by Heather Jackson at Ironman Arizona. So she held that record for a good four years plus, but she has had a fantastic career. I think she's been pro for well over a decade. Um, She's raced all over the world and she's going to tell us a little bit about you know, her career, her new venture, her new business venture, which definitely goes along with our nutrition question because it is all about food and what she has planned for the rest of this year. We'll have that interview for you after a few words from our sponsors. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have my very first Kona. I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right, and our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix chamois cream, swim and sport shower products and the body lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) So huge congratulations on your recent fourth place finish at Ironman 70.3 Monterey in Mexico. And I really need to hear about this swim in Monterey because it looks like the entire 1.2 miles is in a giant fountain. Is that right? And and what was that swim like? Yes. So it was as a non-swimmer, it's not a great swim for me. (laughs) Pretty much. It's like swimming in a swimming pool. It's non-wetsuit. The water is pretty much the temperature of a swimming pool and the whole bottom is cement. And for the entire swim, it's in a fountain and you can stand up and it's pretty much like waist deep. So like you could aqua jog the whole thing if you wanted. Um, People do that. No, maybe I'm sure like, uh, in the, you weren't allowed to swim in it before the race, but then the day before they did like a pre-race practice swim. And so I went and swam in it, which was also funny. Cause I forgot my luggage. So it was like, go nudie under the wetsuit or what are you going to do? <laughs> but, uh, or my luggage got lost. I didn't forget it. But anyways, in the 
practice swim, it was just chaos. And so people were standing up and just like stopping in the middle and like having chats and stuff. But in the race, I don't know if people stop, but yeah, there's all these fountains and they didn't have all the fountains on in the race, but then some fountains they decided to turn on. And then they also put buoys like where the fountains are to like mark to like go around them. And the dynamics were horrible. Like there was just five women that raced. And so the gun went and we all scattered. And I also brought tinted goggles and should have had clear goggles. And, um, Chris was able to walk my husband the entire swim. And so I have my Garmin watch on and every time it connects to my phone, it's buzzing. So it's like, Oh, Chris must be nearby. And he said that it looked like I was in a ping pong game, just like ricocheting. Cause I couldn't tell where to go. Like I couldn't sight. I was by myself. So it's very interesting, but it's super spectator friendly, pretty warmish water. Like it's not like it wasn't cold. It was kind of refreshing. And yeah, it's pretty much just like you're swimming in a pool. So interesting. (laughs) It almost sounds more like maybe a bathtub than a pool, I guess to me, but like a giant bathtub with all of your friends. Yeah, exactly. And like, uh, with the age groupers, it'd probably be cooler. Like I don't, I thought it'd be like Ironman Texas or Ironman Austria where you're swimming in the canal. I didn't like it like, cause it snaked around. So yeah, you had to swim. Like if you wanted to swim the tangents, which in my head, I was like, Oh, I'm swimming the tangents. I'm crushing this. But Chris said that I probably swam 1.5 miles and not 1.2. <laughs> so yeah, I'm but you would just, crush it. Haley. Yeah. I'm just picturing. Like, the <laughs> I might have to add that one to my list. I, I like pool swimming. I'm a fan of the pool swimming, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's so interesting. Cause I would have thought it would be easy sighting, but now that you talk about it and this, like, it's like swimming in a lazy river or something <laughs> like that sounds really challenging. Yeah. I think if I had had clear goggles, I, I don't have the best vision either. So yeah, it wasn't good for me. <laughs> well, you did Not get- my best. You did get through the swim and the bike and you came off the bike actually in third place, we think behind Lauren Goss and Sarah Piampiano, but you and Sarah both took a slight detour off course early in the run. So can you tell us about what happened there? Yeah. So it was kind of funny because I usually don't pre-ride the run course. And I did the day before, cause there wasn't really anywhere to ride a bike there. Uh, Monterey is actually a very big city, which I knew it was a city, but it's 4 million people. So wasn't really riding the bike before the race. So I actually was like, Oh, I'll just ride the run course. So I know where I'm going. And the run goes through this park situation and it's two loops. And yeah, we came off the bike. I think Sarah was 145 down and I was two minutes down. And so I could see Sarah at the start of the run. And then we got into this park area and you ran up these stairs. And then I looked ahead of me and nobody was, I couldn't see the group. Sarah was with two other men and I couldn't see them ahead of me. And I didn't see any turn or anything. So I just kept running straight on this path in this park. And then I got to a T in the road and there was no arrow on it. And like, I've been racing pro 13 years. I've never gotten lost on a course. And when I got to the T and there was no arrow, I was like, this is not good. And there was a local woman and she was yelling at me to go left, go left. And, um, so I went left and started running. And at that point I was like, I'm out of the race. I don't know where I'm going. And Lauren Goss popped out right in front of me and I knew she was the leader. So I was like, this is not good. 
And then I thought in my head, like, you just have to think on your toes. Like I said, I've never been lost. So I thought, all right, well, I'll just run the course backwards, like where Lauren came from and maybe find where I came from. And I was running the course backwards. And then I saw the fourth place girl now in second. So I was like, well, maybe she passed Sarah. I don't know. And then I saw Sarah and Sarah yelled at me, like, get up on this high road. So I ran cross country style through the grass, like, up on this road and then the timing mat was right there. So I hit the timing mat and flipped around. I don't even know if you're still following all this. And then I was on the course and then it's just a weird, like you don't really know what to do in that situation. So like, are you, did they cut the course short and I run the right way or am I, you know, am I disqualified? I don't even know. And then, so kind of the middle of the race was lackluster miles for me. And then it was like, all right, just run as hard as you can to the finish. And then, at the finish, they can deal with it. And so, but it was weird because on the second loop, there was a person, a cone and an arrow on the road. So, I mean, I asked Sarah and the other four people that went off course, did you see a cone and an arrow? And they all said no. So I don't really know. It was weird. It was bad luck. And that's a bummer. But I mean, yeah, we're over it, right? (laughs) Well, the good thing is that's only happened once in 13 years, but I'm just... How, the headspace that you must be in if something like that happens. Cause it's not like this is unheard of. We've heard of this happening in other races and, and I've even, I've been at races before and you know, I've asked someone, I'm like, Oh, which direction was this go or something like that. And they're like, Oh, don't worry. You won't be leading. And I'm like, Hey, but you need to know, like it's yeah. our responsibility to know the course. And so, I mean, do you have any suggestions for people? I mean, you pre-wrote it. Like what else could you have done? Yeah. I mean, I think that was one of them. That's kind of how I settled to be okay with it was just like, it's kind of bad luck. And that, and, and even at the finish, I actually did attempt to do a protest on it and they pretty much were like, cause I would have been third place, which is bonuses and, you know, a decent bonuses and, uh, you know, a little more prize money. But essentially what they were telling me was like, they, you're responsible for knowing the course and you didn't know the course. And yeah, I mean, I guess you just have to hope and know that the course is marked and just pay attention. And now that I've been in that position, I guess, yeah, I don't know if I would do it much differently. Like I was just running along and (laughs) missed, I mean, yeah, I don't know, but I guess the biggest thing would just be when you're in that moment and you're kind of panicked and you don't really know what, I mean, well, Lisa, I'm sure you've gotten lost in the woods, (laughs) you know, but it's like, (laughs) yeah, like you just don't panic in it. And it's the same protocol. You're giving your best effort. Right. And that's just what I thought to myself was like, okay, I don't know where I'm on this run course, but give your best effort and we'll deal with it when you cross the finish line. And so Lindsay, you race Monterey as part of what you called like a dirty double with racing one week after Ironman St. George. So this is something that we see pros do quite a bit of. Sarah Pimpiano also did that same dirty double. Um, Holly Lawrence won both 70.3 championships in St. George and Vietnam. And those are one week apart. So can you tell us a little bit about the logic behind back-to-back racing, at least for you? And do you think that this is something that even age groupers should give a try to? Well, I think it's kind of fun. I think my initial lore to doing it was you're just curious, you know, like I'm sure that, I mean, I feel like Alyssa, I don't know if you have Haley have done the back-to-back Ironman deal. I have and not. I, yeah. Definitely not. I have not either. And I am not that curious about it, but I almost there, think it would be easier than doing the 70.3s to be honest, but cause it's just like, like such a different effort level. 
Yeah, but I think that that's the initial is like, oh, can I pull this off? Can I do it? And then um, my other thought process to it is initially I was going to do Chattanooga, which is two weeks apart. And two weeks is kind of funky time because you take about five days to recover from the first one. And then you can't really get in that much work between the second one. But if you do them one week apart, you're really just resting and keeping the engine open um, with the two one week apart. So I actually prefer one week apart versus two week apart. Like I feel like two weeks apart, it's hard to like get into a rhythm again. So I'm all for the double one week apart. I don't know if I would do it as an Ironman, <laughs> but as a half, like I, uh, I haven't done it in about five years and I enjoyed it. Like I already am like, oh, is there another one I can do this year? I think the mental so. side of it too, like you're already doing it for the 70.3, so you should definitely do one with an Ironman, but like, you know, you're, you have to basically just remind yourself that you don't really rest till after the second one, you know? And so like, you just never get out of that mode where like you have to be on top of all your race stuff for the week kind of thing. Like if you let your guard down there, I feel like then it all falls apart. But if you re remember like you're racing two and that's kind of like one, right. Then you power through and, it's actually and then you can like down. I thought it was way less stress. Like you don't unpack. Yeah, like exactly. Double up all your nutrition. Like wash your race kit. So it actually was like really stress free going into Mexico. And then the other benefit is like you have no expectations. Like I think if you go into the second one with high expectations, you're a bit crazy. But it's just like, all right, let's just go see what happens, and maybe I'll surprise myself, and maybe I, you know, like you just don't know. And I also think maybe course consideration would come into play. Like. Well, Holly Lawrence is in a league of her own, but I don't know if I would go do like a championship race a week after, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like the second one is just a bonus. That's how I mentally approach it. But yeah, we did very well. And I'm, I'm going to have to just take Alyssa's word on the double Ironman there. I don't think I'll be joining, doing, trying that anytime soon, but the 70.3 one, the 70.3 double, I think is, is intriguing, but Lindsay, going back to, to you and we, or not me, but Alyssa and Sarah, they did interview you previously on the Iron Woman podcast. I think it was back in 2017. And during that interview, you said that you see yourself as more of an Ironman athlete versus a 70.3 or shorter distance triathlete. And, and your most recent performances since that interview, <laughs> they include a third place finish at the Ironman African championship a win at Ironman Wisconsin and a top 10 finish at the Ironman world championships in Kona. So those results definitely suggest you excel at the distance. But as you said before, you've been racing pro for more than a decade. So do you think you've always trended toward these longer distances or is that something that's kind of evolved throughout your career? Yeah, I think that's always been, I think that Ironman was the allure, like why I got into it was I was really intrigued by it. So I feel like I've always been more of the endurance athlete. Like I don't slow down much at all between half Ironman and Ironman. Like my pace is pretty much the same, maybe off five to 10 seconds per mile on the run and 10 Watts on the bike. And it's actually frustrating to me. Like this year I worked so hard on my high end. Like I cut out a lot of the endurance miles. Like I haven't done a ride over four hours. All my intervals were like short, hard, cussing, sweating, wanting to vomit. And I thought like, I'm going to come out of the gates and crush 70.3s this season. And I have had my worst season to date of 70.3. So it's like, I just want to throw my arms up in the air because obviously I love to race and 70.3s you can race 
so much more frequently. And I respect the Ironman distance. And so um, I realize I can't race you know, five or six Ironmans a year. So yeah, I guess it's a double-edged sword, but, um, I, that's a long way of answering your question of, I think I've always been an Ironman athlete. And, um, even though I have visions of being a 70.3 athlete, I will continue to be an Ironman athlete. I think I saw so. something that Chris was like tweeting for you or put on Instagram or something. And during St. George, that was basically like, I told her she should just start waking up extra early and doing a 70.3 first and then getting to the start line for the 70.3 and she'll probably feel better. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And like, I mean, I fight that identity because there's so many successful Ironman athletes that do well at the 70.3. So yeah, I guess it's a little frustrating or something that I'm still trying to figure out, but then your physiology is your physiology. So at some point you got to embrace it, you know, as well, which is like, I mean, I know people for years told me like, Oh, don't do three Ironmans in a year. And now I'm like, why not? Like it's what I'm good at and I enjoy it. And that's what fires me up. So yeah, I guess you are who you are. (laughs) You definitely are good at doing like multiple Ironmans in a year in 2018 leading up to your 12th start in Kona, you decided to race Ironman Wisconsin, which is just four weeks before uh, the world championships in Kona. So what went into that decision? Cause it sounds like you might race three, but not always that close together. Yeah. So four weeks, I think is my limit. <laughs> I'm not, you're not going to see me doing them one week apart or two weeks, but, um, yeah, so I did Wisconsin last year because kind of for a variety of reasons, I think I'd been doing the same formula for Kona the last, like however many years, five, six years of putting kind of all my eggs in the Kona basket. And then I would go to Kona and I kept getting like 10th, 11th, 12th, which to me, it's just not really great. And if you're not in the top 10, you're not even making any money, you know? And then I would leave Kona just super disappointed and frustrated. Like I wanted to be there, but then you don't perform well. And so last year, pretty much we were like, let's just switch up the formula or the recipe. And, um, I think it's similar to what I talked about with the dirty double with the 70.3s is I went to Wisconsin. I had an awesome race. And then I'd never, I hadn't done an Ironman that close. I'd done the Kona, Arizona double, uh, several times, but I hadn't done a Ironman pre Kona, but I went to Kona with like no expectations and no pressure pretty much. Whereas I think the last couple of years I went to Kona with like, okay, for the last like three months, I've nailed my training. I'm so fit. Um, I've got to swim with so-and-so, you know, I got to do this. I have to run a three hour marathon. And then when it wasn't going my way, you're just super disappointed. And this year I went to Kona and it was like, all right, let's just see this and see what happens. And it just, um, lessened a lot of the pressure. And actually more than anything, I enjoyed the whole experience. Like Kona hasn't been that fun for me for a few years. And this year, like I had fun again, I loved it. So for me, it, it worked. And I don't, I never once thought during Kona this year, I'm tired from Wisconsin. Like I never felt fatigue from that. Um, so yeah, I, I was into it. I liked it a lot. Did, you know, going into that decision was the change in the Kona qualification process. Did that play into it at all? And, and did that play into like, you know, going to Kona this year In previous years, you know, you go to Kona and you're trying to get those points for the next Kona, but this year you went to Kona 2018, already knowing you had a slot for 2019. I think you might've been the only person there who was in that position. Did that help? And did that play into the decision at all? 
Um, it didn't really actually what was more important in the decision to me was I really am a fan of the women's only Ironman events that they're doing because you essentially get double the prize money. And so that was a huge decision for me was it was a Wisconsin was a women's only. So I think I ended up getting $16,000 for the win, which is like pretty great for an Ironman payday. So the Kona slot was kind of a bonus. But it definitely was, I think everyone kind of was wondering, how am I going to get to Kona? And people still are wondering, how am I going to get to Kona? And that was definitely like, it was kind of on the list of like positives to doing Wisconsin, but it wasn't the sole driver in doing Wisconsin. The other reason to really wanted to do it was um, after Coeur d'Alene last year, I went and did a bunch of bike fit stuff with Jim at Euro, which I know you've been to Haley. And um he changed a bunch of stuff and I just wanted to test it out. And like, you can test it out on a hundred mile bike ride at home, but it's still not the same as like a hard hundred mile ride in a race. And then would you be able to run after? And so that was a big thing was like, okay, let's go to Wisconsin and just ride super hard and see how I feel after it. So I would say that, um, like the women's prize purse and then the testing out the bike fit. And then also Wisconsin was a huge bucket list event for me. And I didn't know like, this year, was it going to go men's only? And then what would happen to it? Like, would I not have another chance to race it again? So that was another big thing was I had heard it was an iconic event and I wanted to do it. So, so yeah. we're going to change gears a little bit, Lindsay, because we need to talk about your new venture that you have going on, which is a website and an Instagram account focused on food and cooking for athletes and quote hard chargers. So tell us a little bit about Hazel and Blue. Where did this idea come from and why start it now? Yeah, so I've kind of been wanting to start a side project for a while, like maybe the last year or two years, but I'm getting older in my career, in my triathlon career, and I definitely don't want to be done yet. But I just have noticed like the pressures have changed and I, before I was a triathlete, I was Lindsay, the person. And in the last couple of years, I just felt like I was becoming Lindsay way too much of a triathlete. And with that came a lot of pressure with like racing and workouts. And then that was leading into defining like who I was and I just wasn't liking it. And I actually more so probably Chris, my husband wasn't liking it because he was getting the brunt of it. And he really encouraged me just to start a side project just to put my extra time into something else versus sitting around thinking about racing and training. And in the fall, we went to Ireland and we were at a pub <laughs> and we had some Guinnesses and we started talking about well, we'd been talking about different ideas and things that I wanted to do everything from like a strength training program to a training journal to just like different things that I do that I'm passionate about that would be useful in the trap that would be motivating for other triathletes. And then the, we kept coming back to the food thing. So that's kind of where it came from. Like I do all the cooking in our house and I've always, I studied sport nutrition in college and I think everyone likes food, right? Like it's just a universal across like any platform or culture that you go to and particularly athletes love food. And I think that there's also a lot of questions about how to fuel yourself or like people even ask all the time, like over my, um, webpage, like, Oh, what do you eat or how do you eat? And so, um, I guess, yeah, I just wanted to take my passion for food and share it with others. And then I also realized the impact that I have on triathlete, like as a professional athlete, sometimes I think you underestimate the impact you have on other people. And then 
sometimes you get an email and you're like, wow, I actually do have an impact on others. And so it was like, well, if I can motivate people to train and race and try new things, maybe I can motivate, motivate them from a healthy food standpoint as well. And so that's kind of where it came from. And, uh, we were at the pub and it's definitely a joint venture with Chris and myself and Chris's eyes are blue and my eyes are hazel. So that's where the name came from as we were just talking and Chris specializes in photography and digital marketing. So he definitely is the camera taking the pictures and I'm the hands and the knowledge doing the cooking. <laughs> Lindsay, do you have a favorite recipe and, and maybe an easy recipe for those of us who aren't as culinarily inclined? That's well, me. I'm going to post I'm about me. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting ready to post one today on a kale salad. That's just super easy. But I would say that most of the stuff that I am going to post is super easy because I personally don't have time as an athlete for cooking and spending a lot of time like measuring stuff out. And a lot of the times I cook and it's just like open the refrigerator, see what's in there that's seasonal, pull it out and I come up with something. So, um, I think that that definitely is like the goal. And that's what I hear from a lot of people is like, I just want something that's easy, healthy and quick. And so hopefully everything you would see in there would be easy, but I am going to post this kale salad recipe. That's like a kale Caesar that like, it's awesome. You can put blueberries in it. You could put salmon in it. You could put whatever in it, nuts, seeds, anything. So check it out. <laughs> I'll do that for sure. Thanks. Lindsay, if we look at some of the posts that you have on Hazel and Blue and your own personal Instagram and your website, everything, it's clear that like you treat your social media like a job, you know, like it's a part of being a professional athlete. And I think that you were probably one of the first pro triathletes to really start doing this and like elevating our, all of our games in that sense. So can you give us kind of a behind the scenes look as to like what goes on when you're crafting your posts? Yeah. So it's been interesting how it's evolved because like I used to not think of the social media part as like part of the job and really the whole social thing started at wildflower. I don't even know what year it was, but Chris is my husband and he was there racing and he had like the oldest iPhone ever and he was kind of bored. And so he just started like taking pictures while I was racing in a video and I crossed the finish line and was chatting with people. And then we go back to the campsite and he's like, Oh, I made this video while I was standing there. And he pretty much just shot and edited this video on his iPhone and posted it to YouTube and like people went nuts for it. And so that's what started is Chris comes to basically a lot of almost all my races. And so that season, basically every race he went to, he did a race day video that he shot and edited on his iPhone. And, um, then yeah, it's just kind of progressed from there that then he got a camera and yeah. And then, but what's crazy is that now, like I said, it's part of your job pretty much. And I have a hard time with it because like, I want to be real and who I am, but then sometimes I feel torn, you know, like you get, um, a request from a sponsor of like, Oh, we really want you to post this. And I just, um, I guess my whole goal with social is I want to maintain a real personality across it. And I feel like now with social, some of it is so polished and you have to look and be a certain way. And so, yeah, it's hard to like strike a balance of staying true to who you are as yourself and like showcasing your personality and letting people have like a close inside look at your life. But that also leads to a lot of vulnerability or criticism. Um, like even with hazel and blue, like I realize it's not going to strike a chord maybe with people that eat meat 
because I eat a variety of meats, fruits, vegetables, dairy, but like I've posted stuff on my personal account before, like eating a hamburger. And I've definitely had vegetarians approach me about their beliefs and yeah. And so I don't know, I guess I'm going off on a couple tangents. No, I was gonna say, I love the perspective because it, it does seem like social media comes so easily to you and so naturally from an outsider perspective. And so it is one of those things that I think is good for us to keep in mind that even if Lindsay Corbin is sometimes having a hard time, like it's okay if I have a hard time sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I do feel fortunate in that. And so actually when Chris started it, he was working at Big Sky Brewing when he started posting, uh, which is a local brewery in Montana. But when he posted those first videos, like digital marketing wasn't his job. Like Twitter had just started. Instagram was like just a thing. And actually Chris's business now is Corbin Brands and he manages digital assets for um, like five or six different companies as well as for myself. And so he, Chris actually has never once posted on my behalf other than while I'm racing, but I have an expert in my corner that's basically bugging me like at night when you're like, how was your day? What's going on at work? He's like, oh, well, this new algorithm's coming up or this or this and this. And so I feel that I definitely have a benefit and I think it's a benefit to my sponsors too. Like it's a perk that like I finish a race and within six hours they have a folder of digital images that they can use. And that's a benefit that like not every athlete has. And so, yeah, I guess I'm really lucky on that hand, but, um, yeah, it's just interesting how it's shifted. Like I said, as a dynamic, um, and I definitely have Chris that like pushes me out of my comfort zone. Like sometimes I'm like, do people really want to hear about that? But I don't, people, I think people, the more real that I am, the more people, I think that's what people want to hear about. Like that's what I get the most response to is when you show sides of your personality or vulnerability or admit mistakes or failure. Um, I mean, people definitely want to see winning, but at the end of the day, like only one person wins the race. Right. And then what happens to the rest of us? <laughs> so I guess that that's sort of been my philosophy is to like, just always tell my story and try to maintain and be true to that. And so along those lines, we have talked to several pro women on this show about the changing atmosphere of sponsorship in professional triathlon. And it seems like you've had some of the same sponsors like Saucony, Trek, and Cliff throughout your career. Do you have any tips on building and keeping good sponsor relationships? I guess, you know, even if we don't have someone there who can provide uh, a whole <laughs> bunch of, you know, perfectly manicured photos within six hours of the race, are there any other yeah. things that maybe we can do? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think initially when I first was looking for sponsors, I just was, went down a list of like, if I was going shopping, what would I buy? And like, what product am I super passionate about? Because I think if you're passionate about a product, it's easy to like speak to the product or like naturally be able to sell it to other people. And so, yeah, I think the first thing my tip always, when people ask me all the time is like, Oh, how do I get sponsors? Or how do you pick? Or how do you choose? Is it's like, if you wouldn't go to a store and buy it, like you probably shouldn't go be sponsoring it or speaking to that product because it's just going to come across as on inauthentic. And then the other thing too, is it's just, um, forging these long-term relationships. I think it's no different than training. Like consistency is key. So just being in consistent contact with them, consistently providing things for them. You know, it's not always about yourself. It's people want, I mean, anyone, it's all about them, right? Like it's all about you. Like most people are out there for themselves. So it's like, what can you do to help them and realize like, you're not just in it for the free product, but yeah, just being consistent. Like I said, consistent communication, um, 
I think also like the biggest thing is what I talked about earlier with social media is just being real and authentic. I think if you can actually know people like on a personal level and connect with them and be real, like if you have, like, I just had three pretty subpar for me race results, but my sponsors are still hearing from me. Right. Like it's, it'd be easy to like crawl in a hole and just ignore that you haven't raced well or think that people don't care. But I think that all those companies that I work with genuinely do care about me as a person. So yeah, those are just a few ideas. And then, yeah, I don't know. Is that good? No, it's I can great. keep going. It is. No. <laughs> and we mentioned Trek as one of your longtime sponsors and they've recently made news last year when they announced that they'd be sponsoring the new a new women's road cycling team. Again, words that I see written down that I forget to practice saying out loud. The Trek Segafredo, is that how we say yep. it? Women's yeah. road cycling team. And it was the first pro women's road team directly owned by a cycling brand. Then they kept all of the buzz going by announcing the 2019 roster included a woman who was then pregnant, the 2015 world champion Lizzie Dengen? Dengen? Yep. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Challenging myself all over the board tonight. Yeah. Um, and included gender equality activist, and we've had her on our podcast as well, Catherine Bertine, as the Trek's ambassador for equality in cycling. So we've seen, you know, if people are on social media, a lot of companies are coming under fire recently for their sponsored athlete maternity practices, but Trek seems to be one step ahead on a lot of fronts. So in your experience, is Trek the kind of company that we should be looking to as a role model in their support of women athletes that they're sponsoring? Yes, def I mean, I definitely think so. Like they're huge on the women's advocacy and they have a huge um, development in cyclocross racing as well, or they're investing a lot in the cyclocross market. And there's a couple really big cyclocross races where they've actually stepped up to provide equal prize money for the women as there is, is the men. And that was like a huge thing. So, and then as well, we actually have more women on the Trek triathlon roster than men, which is pretty cool. Like that's rare that you see that. And so they're definitely all about, um, equality. I actually was a little bit curious. I haven't pulled out all my contracts to actually look at like if there is a pregnancy clause or fine print, because that's not currently on my radar, but I have been curious about it with all the stuff that has come up. Um, and yeah, I guess I haven't brought it up with any of my sponsors cause it's not on my radar. So, um, I mean, I think it's important to be educated on it, but, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, as far as equality goes, I think it's pretty awesome. And then I actually want to give one more plug to my other sponsor, Cliff Bar, which just did something super cool. And that's that um, the U.S. women's soccer team was um, way underpaid compared to the men's soccer team. And Luna Bar uh, sponsored the U.S. women's team, and which is uh, a division of Cliff Bar. But um, they went out to the um, U.S. women's soccer team camp, basically, and the U.S. women's soccer team thought, like, oh, they're just here to give us cliff bars, but they actually gave each of them the, like, $22,000 pay difference that makes up the difference between the men and the women to give them equal pay to what the men are getting, and that was, I just learned about that. I think it happened in the last month, but um, I don't know the exact number, but it ended up being, like, thousands of dollars per difference per woman. And like, they're just bawling their eyes out. Cause they thought like, Oh, Luna bar is here to give us free cliff bars. And then they just shocked them and like gave them, you know, like huge salary increases for each of them. So pretty stoked to be associated with two brands and, and Saucony as well that just really support women. So 
We, we love those plugs for those kind of companies that are, you know, like we said, being role models that hopefully, you know, every company will see that it pays to support women, right? It's going to help your bottom line and they'll follow suit. So kudos to uh, Trek and Cliff for those uh, big gestures. But going back to you, you seem like an athlete who, who isn't afraid to adapt and even reinvent yourself to keep things fresh as you move through your career. You kind of mentioned your forays into social media and you, you started your career with the tagline Montana made and you wore a cowboy hat down the finish chute, but now you embrace Bend, Oregon as your hometown. So can you, like, is it hard to always evolve with the times or do you just embrace the challenge? Yeah. You know, it's actually interesting. So I, um, write down a list before like my key Ironman races of like things that I have going for myself to like build my confidence up a bit. And in the last year, like one thing that made the list was that, um, I have been able to evolve throughout my career. Like, I used to not, I mean, I kind of fought off the like, oh, you're a veteran in the sport. And then in the last year or two years now, I'm like, I just got to embrace it and own it. But Chris was the one that brought it up to me. And he's like, I think it's pretty cool. Like most pro triathletes are like five or six years and they move on and find something else. But you've actually been able to like adapt and evolve and change with the sport because if I'd been doing the same training now that I was doing five years ago, like I wouldn't be near the athlete that I am now. And I think the reason, like, I kind of like the challenge. Like I like that it's that you have to like be like, I mean, the sports changed a ton, especially for the, from the women's side of things. And I kind of like that the bar's been raised and that you have to try different things and see what works for yourself. So yeah, for me, I guess I just look at it as a challenge and it's something fun. And it also, I think that that's why I'm still doing the sport like it's still interesting to me and it's still like every time I don't really do well in a race or like I've just come off that block of races that were a little subpar for me personally it just fires me up or motivates me more of like okay well what can we be doing different or what's working and what's not and so yeah some people it works for them to do the same recipe over and over but I definitely have always been just switching it up and I think that that's probably why I'm still racing at a high level you know 13 years later. <laughs> and part of switching it up from time to time, I think has been kind of embracing that like adventure aspect. And you are known to be a regular on some courses, but you also aren't afraid to, you know, hop on a plane and go somewhere else in the world to, to have a race. So we have a couple questions um, that our listeners always love to find out from the pros. So we want to know your favorite race location in the U S and outside of the U S and then what is still on your bucket list? Okay. So favor in the U S I mean, it's going to have to be an Ironman and I mean, Hawaii is obviously like up there because it's the creme de la creme, but it's not probably not my favorite. <laughs> I would say, I mean, Wisconsin was freaking awesome. <laughs> I have to say Arizona was like my favorite in the U S and I could not stop smiling the entire day. And like, obviously I had a good race and I won, so that's going to give you a good experience, but from running up the helix, coming out of the swim, like having people shout at you. The bike course was so engaging. And then on the run, you're running through a college campus. Um, yeah, it just was the dynamics of it, the whole thing. I loved it. So I'm going to go with Wisconsin as my favorite <laughs> in the U.S. Um, with Arizona and Hawaii can be tied for second. And then outside of the U.S., I mean, I think Europe is pretty freaking awesome. I raced in Austria twice and absolutely loved it. 
I think the dynamics have changed a little bit and the stress with the, like the drafting is that makes it like a stressful, but as far as race atmosphere and beauty and scenery, um, Austria is awesome. So, and is there anything left on your bucket list that you still are narrowing in on for these seasons? (laughs) Well, I definitely want to go back to Europe and do one of the big German races, whether it's Frankfurt or Challenge Roth. I'm not Roth if you're American. <laughs> We're famous for saying um, it any way you want on this podcast. So yeah. anyway, it comes and out. <laughs> anyone that knows me knows I am obsessed with pretzels. Like I have a pretzel t-shirt. I love pretzels. So I feel like I want to go do one of those big German races. And then actually this year in a couple weeks, I was going to do a different plan. And then I just pretty much, you nailed on the head, Alyssa. Like I was like, I'm craving adventure. So I'm going to go do Ironman Ireland, which I think is just going to be like a ton of fun. And it's going to be more of an adventure race and I'm doing it because yeah, it's like, uh, it's pulling at my heartstrings and that's how it was with Wisconsin last year. And usually when you go that route, like you end up racing well, but I think it's going to be a total adventure and it's a little bit outside my comfort zone. I actually don't like the cold and it's going to be like swimming in the Irish sea is not going to be warm. <laughs> Actually, even, um, our weather in bend right now is very much like Ireland. It's 50 and raining forties and raining. And I'm forcing myself to go outside in it. And I'm like trying to almost like how you heat ad- adaptation. I'm thinking like, I'm going to do some cold adaptation. <laughs> um, the cold. The run, from what I hear is like through town, four loops and the town's tiny. It's like a population of 2000. So yeah. And Chris and I got an Irish homestay farm stay. Like we're staying with Pat and Gertie and they've got like cows and chickens and she's going to teach me Irish scones. So, um, yeah, that's like my bucket list for this year that I think will be a lot of fun. So, I mean, there's still, I definitely still want to race a couple more years. So for sure, I'd love to, um, get back to Europe. And then I have never been to New Zealand. So New Zealand's like, whether that's on a vacation or a race, like for sure is on my bucket list. So I feel like it would be a lot like home, but, uh, Alyssa here. Well, we've, we've, we've like fangirled, uh, New Zealand racing a lot. I feel like on this podcast, everyone's like Wanaka, Topa, Taupo. That's how you say Taupo, Topa. Um, and then we have the 70.3 world championship coming up there next year. So quite a few opportunities if yeah, New Zealand is on your bucket list. But I think um, it's just never good. It's just like, I don't know if I can be fit for March. Like it's a commitment, <laughs> but I'm also afraid to go. Cause I feel like I may like it too much. Yeah. It's one of those places you don't really want to come home from, but, and if you want to do the double there with Wanaka and Taupo, it is that two week window, which is always like a little nerve wracking, like you said earlier. So, but it's totally worth it to be down there and get like the full experience. So. Yeah, for sure. I know. And every year when it's going on, I follow it and I'm like, next year I'm going to do it. And then in Kona, I'm always talking a big game and I tell all the New Zealanders like, all right, I'm going to come in March and then January hits. And it's just like, no, not happening. (laughs) (laughs) One of these years, one of these years, Lindsay, we are big animal lovers here on the Iron Woman podcast, and you seem to fit that description perfectly. So we've been able to watch your dog, Chimmy, grow up via your Instagram profile. So I'm really curious to know how's Chimmy doing these days? Does, Uh, does she like the cold weather in bend or is she like ready for summer? Um, Chimmy's awesome. (laughs) Best dog ever. I think the reason why I love Chimmy is her outlook on life is just like, 
always in a freaking good mood and always game for whatever. Like if you want to take a nap, she's down to take a nap. But if you want to go to the lake or the river, she's right there, loves it. And it's like, even in the winter, it snowed like two feet in town in a week or something. And we took her Frisbee and we would like throw it up the hill and she would basically be doing like hill repeats. And she's kind of a short golden retriever with stumpy legs. And so the snow's like up to her chest and she's just like bounding through the snow. And we'd make her do it like 20 or 30 times. And Chris is like, can you imagine if you made a human run up in the snow at waist deep, like you wouldn't be smiling ear to ear, like wagging your tail, like, oh, this is the best thing ever. But she is like that with everything. So she definitely gets A plus for attitude and um, spirit animal in the house. But yeah, she's awesome. Uh, I think she likes summer more. She definitely loves to swim. Um, so she's probably stoked that our weather's getting ready to turn around. <laughs> I love it. Next time I am doing some sort of miserable repeat session, I'm going to have to be like, okay, Alyssa, be like Chimmy in this and just I, like suck it up and enjoy it. Exactly. <laughs> so you just finished this big block of 70.3 racing. You just told us that you're headed to Ireland next. Where can our listeners follow your season? And do you think you'll be returning to Wisconsin this year to, to give that uh, four week window a, a go? I know Trek might even be excited to have you because they're headquartered there in Madison. So I, I can't imagine they'd, you know, not, they'd be sad to have you not there. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You can follow me on social media. Uh, I'm on pretty much everything, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email, <laughs> you name it, Strava <laughs> webpage and rest of the year. Yeah. I'm going to do Ireland and then I'm not sure what I'm going to do in July. I keep looking and looking. I keep refreshing the Ironman page thinking a new race is going to show up or like something. And July is not really exciting me yet. There's, I'm not seeing much that's like, I'll probably end up racing. Um, a seven, well, I know I'll race a 70.3 in July. And um, then, yeah, I'm going to go back to Wisconsin. I loved it. <laughs> it was so much fun. And just um, to have the opportunity to defend a title is pretty cool. I mean, that's not really high on my priority list. It's more just that it was a really fun race. And I liked the training a lot for Hawaii. Like, I thought it got my butt in gear to get my Kona prep going earlier. And so I kind of like that in August, you pretty much start your Ironman training and it's motivating. Like, okay, we got to get ready for Wisconsin. And yeah, it's home of Trek Bicycle. So that's always special to race in front of them. They were super fired up last year. Um, and then, yeah, I'll go to Kona after. And I mean, it's never the same one year to the next, but I did like that. It was kind of like no pressure and lessens the pressure. So we'll see what happens this year. I don't know what it's best to not expect anything, but yeah. And then I, I don't know what I'll do after that. <laughs> Relax. I am really just one race at <laughs> a time. Just relax. Vacation. Yeah. Practice making those Irish scones you're going to learn how to make. <laughs> I know. I'm definitely like, I, I have, I have a hard time rallying after Hawaii, but there's some like, uh, the one in Morocco sounds awesome. Like part of me's like, like when else would I go to Morocco? Right. Like, <laughs> so I don't know. Patagonia man, like, but that was kind of shot down by a couple people. I mentioned that too. <laughs> So we'll see. I always, yeah, um, that's the plan for now. Well, always an adventure. We will be sure to follow you and we'll make sure we link to all your social media sites in our show notes. But thank you so much, Lindsay, um, for coming on the show, sharing so much 
advice and getting us motivated for our next race adventures. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was good chatting. Always fun listening to, I love the show. So good, good podcast material when I'm riding indoors. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including kicker smart trainers, element bike computers, and ticker heart rate monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Haley, all this talk of Lindsay and Chimmy, I kind of wish that somehow we could arrange like a race where it's like the pros also bring their puppies and maybe the dogs like race with us. Like how fun would that be if we had some sort of, we could do it for charity or something. I don't know, like a pro puppy race. Iron Man. If it was a like you short, pull your dog, you pull your dog in a trailer on the bike. That would be amazing. And like, <laughs> I was thinking they were running with us. Cause I would say like, I think cowboy could, I would have a, a pretty good advantage if it was like a long run. Cause he can, I go would have to long. put Ramon in a stroller and do a stroller run. <laughs> or if it was a sprint, like cowboys fairly fast over like a short distance, especially if there was like a gopher at the other end. <laughs> He it would be really wild. It would be hilarious. We would have to find the coldest race ever, though, if it's me and Cowboy. Otherwise, like he gets really hot really easy. So I don't I, there would be definite strategy in race selection. And I also probably wouldn't even when there weren't that many people because Cowboy gets a little overwhelmed and definitely no like loud music. Maybe this is why dogs <laughs> don't come to races. Now that I'm thinking about it. He would be pretty Ramona, miserable. I mean, if there's Ramona a- likes being at races, but really? she and she wouldn't do good in the heat. But she doesn't have endurance, so it would have to be a sprint, or it would just have to be like fully stroller kind of trailer situation. She'd love you. to be with me the whole time. You should definitely do. You there's got to be a race out there that lets you bring your dog in a stroller, and we're gonna find this, and you and Ramona are going to be the champions. <laughs> Well, I have a feeling if Lindsay gets a whim of it, then her and Jimmy will take me on. So it's on. If we can make this happen, I i mean, we should for sure. But really great to talk to Lindsay, catch up with her and all the best to her as she takes on Ironman Ireland in June. So many fun things are happening in June, Haley. I am excited. It makes me, you know, time always feels like it's going by too fast, but sometimes it's nice to have things to look forward to. And Alyssa, with that being said, I will, uh, next time I talk to you, it'll be June. Yes. So in the meantime here, as May wraps up, please consider going to our Patreon and signing up to contribute to support live feisty. Um, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash live feisty. Also, if you want to take a moment to rate and review our podcast on the app that you listen to, all of that kind of stuff helps support our sponsors, head to live feisty com to check out those but thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you next week bye Haley. bye Alyssa. thanks for listening to this podcast please subscribe like and comment on itunes my favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa gadeski and Haley chura my favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FQC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen.